Pastor Kevin has been leading us, guiding us into the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a veritable goldmine of spiritual truths. I mean, it just the nuggets just seem to fall off the passages into open hearts and minds. And as we mine this text a little bit further, we begin to bring to the surface that precious and rare commodity called joy. Joy is that the light we find in our Savior that gladdens our heart and lifts us up above circumstances, whatever they might be, to give us confidence and hope. It's not a fleeting emotion so much as it is a quality of life. Now, because it's in this nature, joy cannot be confined to a specific niche or experience or circumstance. You don't have joy just when the sun is shining where Kevin is. We find joy where we are. The sun doesn't always have to shine. The wind doesn't always have to be at your back. You don't have to be kicking field goal after field goal after field goal before adoring crowds. In fact, in our passage last week, Kevin showed us that there is actually joy in suffering. Paul, we found out, is imprisoned in Rome writing this letter to the believers at Philippi. You might think, well, that's a a place for suffering. Especially when you're going before Nero's court, which is unpredictable on a good day. And he's also suffering at the hands of selfish so-called believers who are taking advantage of his misfortune to uh, uh, advance their own position before the body of believers. This could be considered suffering. And yet, Paul says he rejoiced in his chains. You see, you can find joy in whatever circumstance we're in, including suffering. Now, in just a minute, we're going to stretch the boundaries of joy even further. But first, someone may object by saying, wait, wait a minute. The suffering you're talking about is suffering for a cause. Suffering that has meaning and purpose. Suffering where you can see a positive outcome. And that's why Paul is rejoicing in his change. Chains. What about suffering when life doesn't make sense at all? When you can't see any meaning or purpose for the suffering that you're going through? What happens when, for no fault of your own, you're born into a world of disability, disorder, and chaos? Is it possible to find joy, joy in that kind of suffering? Well, I can't answer that adequately. I'm going to rely on someone who is an example of uh, being born into a world of disability. His name is Nick Vojacek. And he can speak about this from this video. I believe God's in control. And when life doesn't make sense, we know that God still has a plan, hope, and a future for each and every one of us. When God doesn't change a circumstance, we know that He can use it for good, that others may see the power of Christ in us. I've realized that God is more interested in changing my heart than my circumstance. And this is the purpose that we are called to live for to be a living testimony to those around us, that they can see the victory that we can live in by the power of His Holy Spirit. 
and maybe these challenges that are present in my life are not just for me to be more dependent on God, but to be an example and a visual aid of God's strength and victory through my weakness. When I was younger, I used to be adamant about being independent in my daily living. But now, I see that it's so much easier having a caregiver. And that gives me more time and energy to do the things that God's called me to do. When attempting to achieve your dreams, it seldom happens the first time. But those who succeed are the ones who never give up. What do you do when you fail? You try again. What happens when you fall down? You get back up. You do not know what you can achieve until you try it. In the beginning, there were many things I could not do. But because I chose to never give up, I now am living a life without limits. Well, you might think, well, living a life without limbs. There's no joy in that. Nick is going to have to wait till he gets to heaven to begin to experience joy. But I, I know that's not true. Why? Because I personally talk to him. He has found joy in suffering of a magnitude that I'll never know. And uh, as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. I'd like you to meet Nick's bride, uh, Kanea, and their biological son, Kiyoshi. Whoa. And this is Nick and Kanea with uh, Johnny Erickson Tata and her husband. Now, Johnny is a case study in that kind of suffering, too, if you know her life. When she was a teenager, she dove headfirst into the murky waters of the Chesapeake Bay. She uh, hit a rock, and it broke her neck and severed her spine. And she has lived the rest of her life being uh, uh, paralyzed. She has found that joy in the midst of suffering, as Nick has done. And so many others have done as well. This is not the exclusive domain of the healthy, wealthy, and the prosperous. This is the domain of the Christian life. And it is ours. It can be yours as well. Now, we're going to need to stretch joy a little bit further. We're going to find joy in this arena that doesn't seem to belong to it. Joy in death. Now, it seems like we're trespassing. Uh, death is the uh, private and the eminent domain of sorrow and grief and loss. It seems uh, to be an interloper. It doesn't belong here. It seems insensitive and cruel to even suggest joy in the context of death. But as we read through the passage, we're going to see, hopefully, what Paul sees and be able to benefit from it, his view of death. From the eyes of a transformed Christian. The text this morning is in Philippians chapter 1. In the, the second portion of uh, verse 18 through 26. Uh, it'll be on the screen. But if you'd like to have one in your hands. Just like I have right now. You can raise your hand and uh, we'll have an usher that will bring you a Bible. That you can look at it uh, from uh, this perspective. And this is the uh, starting point for the word coming into your heart. Is the word in your hands. So let me read, 
uh, and then we'll, we'll find some guiding principles to help us navigate the issues of life and death and joy in both. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For, I am t- for if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. But that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. We need some guiding principles here. And uh, God, I believe, provides that through his word. Now, the first thing that we begin to realize is that we we as Christians can begin to view death through the lens of a transformed life. I need glasses to correct my distorted vision of the printed word. But because we have a sinful nature, we need the lens of God's Spirit and His Word to correct our distorted view of death. Because without that that transformation in our lives, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, we're going to view death in a very narrow and very limited way. It will almost appear to us always as something frightening, something to be avoided, something that, that we need to, to uh, uh, just stay away from at all cost. But as our lives are transformed by the Spirit of God, we begin to see death more clearly. First, For that transformation to take place, Christ must become the source of your joy. For Paul, Christ is not just a passing interest. I have an interest in Christ. I have an interest in this. This is just one of many of my passing interests. No, for for Paul, Christ becomes his life. Consider some of the things that he said in the passage. The help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is always Christ will be honored. For to me to live is Christ. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. For Paul, the life of Christ and the life of Paul are merging together into one. And the joy which is in Christ is is actually penetrating the life of Paul himself. So that he sees his life not separate from Christ, but intertwined with him in all contexts, in every circumstance. And it shapes his viewpoint of what is real and what is not. Now he didn't gain this perspective of Christ being the source of his joy because of his prison experience. He came to prison with that viewpoint. We go back to the very first uh, verse in chapter 1. And Paul already has this mentality. He already sees Christ as the source of his joy. He said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. 
to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. My imprisonment is for Christ. Some indeed preach Christ. The former proclaim Christ, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is Paul's life. And that transforms the way you live. And the way you look at circumstances. And the way you look at death as well. As we'll see in just a moment. Christ also becomes the the focal point uh, of our lives. I'll give you this illustration. Um, You got an empty bag. That's your life. There's nothing in it. And you start living your life and you start filling your life with certain experiences, good, bad, and indifferent. I've got some marbles up here, three different colors. You just take it by faith. Uh, This is green. (laughs) This is red and this is blue, corresponding to the primary colors from which all the other colors come from. And basically your lives can be categorized that way. Good, bad, indifferent. Okay. Now, I've had so many very good experiences in my life. Um, I'll just name a few. Um, my wife. That's so good. There it is. <laughs> that was so good. And our children, our four kids, that goes in the bag, good experiences. And our grandkids, more great experiences. Uh, having the opportunity to teach at Riverside Christian School for 22 years? Wow, that's a good thing. Um, uh, Restoration Church, how good is that? That's another good marble. Uh, another green one goes in to the bag. And life uh, groups. And, uh, okay, fishing. That goes in there too. And so we just add so many good, positive experiences in our lives over the years. But then there's also the other marbles, the, the bad things. And, and I've said and done some bad things too, the blue ones. Um, they go in there. There's a, there's a lot of those in there. And... Uh, uh, I had some bad experiences in Vietnam. My mom and dad have both died. Uh, I have arthritis in both my knees. Um, uh, things have not turned out always the way I hoped they did. So I've got, I've got good experiences and bad experiences. And then I've got a lot of these other ones that I'm indifferent to. I, I could take it or leave it. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. They're in there too. And that's what life becomes. It becomes a, a big bag of marbles. You got good experiences, bad experiences, and things that don't matter one way or the other, but they're in there too. And they're disconnected. They're just marbles. There's nothing else in the bag to relate to, to give substance to, to give meaning or purpose to. They're just marbles. They're all mixed up. The only thing I can compare them to is other marbles. And it's all purely subjective. So I end my life with a, a, a bag of mixed experiences and a jumble of emotions. I have no reference point. Nothing to compare this to. Nothing beyond the marbles. Just a bunch of experiences that are sometimes totally disconnected. And uh, I respond in different ways. And the best I can do at the end of life when I put that big bad marble of death in it is to hope that there are more good marbles than bad marbles. Good experiences versus bad. Not good works versus bad, so that God may forgive me when I enter uh, before Him in judgment, but just good experiences versus bad, so at the end of life I can say, was it worth it all? 
You see, we have a reference point. The Christian life isn't a bag of marbles, of loosely interspersed experiences. If that were the case, how could Paul rejoice in his chains? If he had no other reference point other than his prison experience, that has to be a blue marble for sure. It could never be other than what it is, bad. And how do you find joy in something like that? But you see, Paul has a reference point. He can compare his experience to, and he compares his experience to Christ. He, his bag isn't empty. His life, his bag, is filled with the person of Christ. And he compares and relates his experiences to him. And what in and of itself might be negative, a a very bad experience, in context when compared in relationship to Jesus Christ, can become good. So his prison experience has resulted in the furtherance of the gospel and people are coming to Christ. Is that good or bad for an apostle of Jesus Christ? Is that good or bad? That's good. So the blue marble became what? It became a green marble. It became good. Not because prison is good in itself, but in context and relationship to Christ. He had cause for rejoicing. Those selfish men who wanted to take advantage of his misfortune by, by preaching the gospel and advancing their own position in the body of Christ. They had wrong motives. That surely in and of itself would be a bad marble. But Paul looked beyond the motive to the message. Even people with wrong motives, if they are preaching the right message and advancing the gospel by it, Paul says, go for it. He rejoiced in that. He took that circumstance, which in and of itself would have been bad, and it became something that he could rejoice over. You see, if you don't have a reference point, if you just have marbles, then that's what they're going to be. Good, bad, indifferent. There's no opportunity for transformation at all. They just stay there in the bag. But for Paul, all those experiences are related to something grander, nobler. It's like, instead of using the Christian life as a a bag of marbles, the Christian life is like pieces in a puzzle. They begin to fit into a broader, a broader, broader picture that becomes clearer as each circumstance, each experiences begin to fit into God's plan and grand design for your life. And if it doesn't fit, don't try to force it. Just get rid of it and find the piece that does. So, so rather than think of your Christian life as a bag of, of good, bad, and indifferent experiences, think of your life as the beautiful pieces in a puzzle that God is putting together for you. And you begin to see the picture becoming more clearer over time. You see, that's the mark of transformation. And it changes the way you view life and death. In fact, Paul could sum it up by saying, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Kenneth Wiest uh, described what that would mean in his little book. And rather than trying to summarize it, I'll just read it. Christ is Paul's life in that he is that eternal life which Paul received in salvation. A life which is ethical in its content and which operates in Paul as a motivating, energizing, pulsating principle of existence that transforms Paul's life. A divine presence living his life in and through the apostle. All of Paul's activities, all of his interests, the entire round of his existence is ensphered within the circumference, which is Christ. And when your life is transformed in this way, 
you then can focus on what death really is. And as Christians, we begin to see that death is a means to a joyous end. How is that possible? Well, death makes possible an alternative way of living. And you thought death was the antithesis of life. You thought death ended life. It was the opposite of life. No, it isn't at all. For the Christian, with the lens of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit and a transformed life, you begin to see what death really is. It's a way of presenting another way of living. An alternative way of living. You've lived in a certain way in faith with Christ in this mortal sphere of existence. But when you die, you will continue to live with Christ, but in a, in a more exalted way. Paul gives hint to this in his text. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Well, that's his description of death. What is death? It's to depart and be with Christ. So what happens for a Christian when he dies? He departs. And where does he go? He goes to be with Christ. Well, you thought, well, wasn't Christ with him in life? How is he going to be with him in some alternative way after he dies? Well, writing to the believers at Corinth, Paul speaks about this a little bit further. He speaks of it this way. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. You know what the word home refers to? Your place of residence. What happens when you die is you change your place of residence. You don't cease to live. You move. You change your address. You see, when you become a Christian... And you live in this mortal stretch on this side of death. Christ comes to live in your house. Your body. And you introduce him to the neighborhood. Where do you live? Hi, these are my friends. These are the things I like to do. Hopefully Jesus is going to change a little bit of that. (laughs) Okay? So he's not a passive guest in your house. He might make some suggestions along the way. But he's living with you in your house. And when you die, you get to move. And you get to live with him in his house. In his neighborhood. With his friends. Pal around with the people he is associated with. And the music is pretty nifty, I hear. So what is death? It's an alternative way of living. Here I live by faith as the Lord by His Spirit indwells my home, my house, my body. But when I die, I'm going to live in His house with Him in glory. Oh no. Death doesn't end life for the Christian. Not at all. And if you don't see that, because something is lacking in your life 
You have yet to be transformed. Christ has not yet become the source of your joy because He isn't the, the source of your life. And He isn't your reference point for all the circumstances. And I think you're still afraid to die. You're still afraid. But when you see it in the, this context, oh boy, Paul says, what, you know what my desire is? Guess what my desire is, boys and girls? I desire to depart and to be with Christ. When that becomes a desire of your heart, I think you're getting it. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, he told his disciples that he was going to leave them. Can you imagine that? How heartbreaking it is. He had been with his disciples for over three years, almost 24-7, and then he says, I'm going to go, and I'm paraphrasing, to a place you can't go. You can't come. Only I'm going. But then he says this, John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And what I love about this is what Jesus says. If it were not so, would I have told you this? You see, Jesus doesn't use fiction to comfort the bereaved he doesn't traffic in falsehood in order to make you feel better to comfort you to console you jesus was speaking the truth he, certainly he was speaking in in simplistic terms that uneducated fishermen and people like me could understand okay but he's a good teacher but what a place this must be so what what do we see about death? It is, it is a, a way of living, but living in an al alternative fashion. It also uh, leads us to a glorious destination. Now, for years, when Jan and I lived in Portland, I was a security officer for the Port of Portland. And I was uh, one of the members of the Longshoremen's Union. And I worked on the docks. And one of the things I did was I birthed shifts uh ships i didn't give birth to ships i birthed ships was a, which is a nautical term meaning i park ships okay and so when the ships would make their almost 100 mile voyage up the columbia river from astoria uh when they came close to the dock i was in radio contact with the columbia river pilots and i would give them the birthing instructions for example i would say to the pilot my instructions are to birth the ship at the 500 foot mark on Terminal 6. And I'd stand about 400 feet short of that mark. And I'd, I'd stand there until the bow of the ship, that's the pointy end of the ship, and, and I'd start walking with the ship. And I'd say to the pilot, you are 200 feet short of the mark. You are 100 feet short of the mark. You are 50 feet short of the mark. You are on the mark. And that ship is now where it needs to be, and it's close enough to the dock that the linemen who are waiting there, about a half a dozen of them, will start going to work. And the ship's crewmen will pick up these monkey fists. It's a ball with a, several feet of thin line tied to the main lines. When they get close enough to the dock, they throw the monkey fist off the ship onto the dock, and the linemen would pick up that line and start pulling it in and bring in the main lines, and they would put them over the cleats and the ballards. And after working for a half hour, they collect their mandatory four-hour pay and leave to the next terminal. 
And then the, they would, literally. And the ship's crewmen would then uh, start up the, the, the winches, and they would tighten the lines and bring it close and secured to the dock. And so it's securely moored to the dock that it's been birthed to. And it'll stay that way as long as the ships, uh, the, the longshoremen are offloading the cargo and, and loading the cargo. But when it's all done, when it's time for the ship to depart, the linemen will return and the ship's crew will start up the, the winches again. They'll loosen those ropes so that the, the lime, linemen can take the ropes off the cleats and the ballards. And once it's free and they've collected another four-hour mandatory pay, <laughs> then the ship departs to its destination. Now, why am I dwelling on this illustration? Because when Paul says, uh, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, the Greek word depart means to loosen the ropes of the ship. It's to loosen the ropes so that the ship is free to go. You see, in a sense, your body is the dock and your spirit is the ship. And in this life, the two are securely moored together. As long as you live, they are so closely tied together that they appear as only one single entity. But there will come a time in some mysterious way that we don't understand that bond between the body and spirit will loosen and the spirit will be set free to depart. And it's not the departure, it's the destination that's important. Where do you go when your spirit is set free from your body? Is it a better place? Or is it a worse place? Or do you live in fear, not knowing what place? Well, Paul wasn't living in fear. And he knew that where he was going, by comparison, was far better. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For me to live as Christ and to die is what? Loss? Are you kidding? It's gain. Well, which is better? To live all your life in a worn out, ratty tent or to move into the Atlee's house? No, no. A, or a palace. Where there's no suffering, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness, there's only glory, 24-7, with nifty music. Which is you, which you, what do you think is better? Oh, no thank you, I think I'll still live in the tent. No, Paul's saying, he's a tent maker. I'm not going to keep living in this tent. I'm bound for glory. That's far better than this. So, we view death through the lens of a transformed life. Christ becomes the source of your joy. He becomes the, the focal point, the reference point for living. And when that happens, we begin to see death in a different way. We see death as a means to a joyous end. We see that death actually makes possible an alternative way of living. That it actually becomes, uh, leads us to a glorious destination. Not only that, but we see that death is an incentive for living. With this in mind, knowing my destination is secure, 
I'm free to serve you for the sake of your joy. I'm free to do that. Whereas Paul says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, we need to serve one another with right motives. I'm not here to use you for my own personal gain. I'm not here to fill up some deficit of joy that was never given to me by Christ. I need to suck it out of you. Siphon it off of you. No, we have pure motives, good motives. We're free to do that. Why? Because our ticket to glory is already secure. With joy unspeakable. It's guaranteed. I don't need any more merit badges. I'm not trying to work for the first class seating to get there. Or some higher echelon once I, once I arrive. Because I used you to improve my position. That's what those selfish men were doing uh, when they were taking advantage of Paul's misfortune. But we're free from that. We have Restoration Church because we want you to experience the joy we already have. And hopefully that will take place for you. And it also better equips us to invest our time, our talents, our treasures in the things that matter the most. We're bound for glory. And while we're here for whatever time we have, don't we want to make the most of it? You know, I'm just like you. I'll watch TV just like you. I'll listen to music just like you. I'll smell the roses kind of somewhat like you. <laughs> and if you ask me to go salmon fishing, come on. Unless there's a real conflict, I'll go with you. But I'm no longer seeking to fill up my bag with more and more experiences. What a waste of time. I want to invest my life in what counts, what matters for time and eternity. Now think about the, the hours we spend in things that aren't going to matter at all. They're not the green marbles. They're not the blue marbles. They barely make the red grade, the, the indifferent marbles that aren't going to make a difference one way or the other. So that's why being a part of Restoration Church is worth the investment. This is where we see Christ building His church here with you and with me. I can't think of a better way to spend my time than right here with you. And all of those difficulties that have come our way in the last two and a half years are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and the Lord will say, what did you do? With all that time I gave you. Because I gave everybody 24 hours in the day. What did you do with it? Did you invest it wisely? I want to be able to say, Lord, I'm not perfect, as you well know. But I did want to invest time in things that matter for eternity. Don't you? 
Don't you get tired of filling a bag with stuff that in the course of eternity won't matter to you at all? And yet you devoted hours upon hours of time and treasure for that thing. But here we are in the presence of Christ being challenged to invest in what matters the most. I'm 67. Although it looks like I'm... No, never mind. I'm 67. I've used up the lion's share of my time. We never know how long we've been given. Uh, I, I look at Dan and I think, oh my goodness. Can I live that long and be so close to Christ? What a blessing that would be. But what if the ship going to set sail tomorrow could I say that I was putting planting roses on the dock or planting God's word in the hearts of men who are bound for glory I hope that you would see the difference now I'm going to end with this challenge Paul could say for me to live as Christ Paul could say that But he could say it because his life has been so transformed that he could say all the other things that go with it. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gay. What about you? What would you say about life and death? You have to fill in the blank for yourself quietly in your heart. For me to live is what? Because you're going to live for something. What is it? And to die is what? You have to answer that. Paul was able to do that for himself. There are many Christians who have come to answer that in the same way Paul has. But what about you? Can you say before God, for me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I don't want to die because I'm tired of living. And I don't want to live because I'm afraid of dying. I live either way for Christ Jesus. Life or death. It's just an alternative way to live with Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we face the issues of life and death and because we're so uh, limited in our thinking and we're so uh, prone to distort our view of reality because of our own sinful, selfish uh, inclinations, Lord, I pray that You would help us to open our eyes. Help us to see what is real, what is true, what is lasting. And help us to fill in the blanks. Help us first to be honest. Right now. Lord, while we're praying, that we'll just fill in the blanks. Oh, Heavenly Father, what is it that we're living for? You know, do we? And you know what death means to us. Oh, Father, I pray 
that if Christ is not the answer, just a passing interest, Lord, help us. Help us to seize upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be born again, to be forgiven of our sins, that your your Son, by the Spirit, would come into our lives and begin the work of transformation. And that day, that hour, that moment, when the ropes begin to loosen, our spirit departs from this place. I pray that we will be going to your home to live with you. Oh, I pray that this will be true for all of us because it's an invitation that extends throughout the ages to all ages, to all races and times, nations and cultures, that we might find our life in you and our destination with you for now and forever. Help us to guide ourselves to that conclusion that you might be that answer that we might have a glorious future with you. In Jesus' name.